Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. I'm Kimberly, fully vaccinated Johnson in D.C. I'm so excited because today my guest is actor Jeff Kober. He's been in tons of TV and movies. Most notable are China Beach, which was my favorite, The Walking Dead, Sons of Anarchy, General Hospital. I have been a huge fan for decades and I'm so thrilled he agreed to be on the show. But before we dive in... I do try to keep these intros short. I have a tier on Patreon, though, that allows listeners to listen ad-free and with a much shorter intro. The Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. It's patrons who keep the show going, and I'm so grateful. If you do enjoy today's show, take a look at the About page, check out some of my past guests. Most of the time, I talk to political people. Sometimes I talk to actors, because I used to be one. But just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. I do two free shows a week on Mondays and Wednesdays, and they're followed up by the What's Up show, which is just me alone talking about whatever I feel like, kind of like an online diary. I also do one patrons-only show with a guest once a month. Just check out the variety of tier options at patreon.com slash startmeup. You can make a one-time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description. I've included a link that makes it easy to donate through PayPal. You can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just stop by the iTunes app, Apple Podcast Store, become a subscriber, it's free, and while you're there if you like the show please rate it and leave a review i would really appreciate it now please enjoy my conversation with jeff kober welcome to the show jeff thank you you don't nice even to be here you don't even know how excited i am okay first of all do you know that we chatted on the phone before well, uh, about what <laughs> well i think it was you and i have been friends on facebook for a long time and i was doing back i think in 2011 a body and self-image blog and I believe that's why I contacted you because I saw you were doing the Vedic meditation and I thought hmm that sounds interesting so we did actually talk I think that's what we talked about ultimately there was never any collaboration on that blog but I do remember very specifically that I told you a couple of things that I'm going to tell you now and number one I have been a huge huge fan of yours for so long and I I think the first time that I ever really took notice of you was that movie, The First Power, with uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you played the devil, and oh my God, you were so scary. You were so good. Sort of a cross between the devil and Richard Ramirez. <laughs> yes, uh. exactly. Who, yeah. oh my God, and he scares me. Um, but that was an amazing movie. And then you play the the next role that really caught my attention was Dodger on China Beach and oh yeah that show I mean we're going to talk about that in a minute um but first of all I wanted to say my father is a Vietnam vet and I'm sure you are hearing from so many Vietnam vets but um he really appreciated that show he really appreciated your performance and you were absolutely definitely my favorite character on the show um so I just kind of wanted to go through that first <laughs> before Thank I you. start and, asking and questions. The, the, one of the most profound things about that show was that we all cared so deeply that the veterans mm -hmm. wouldn't look at the show and say bullshit. Wow. You know, we, we, we were doing it for them yeah. and they were the only audience we were shooting for. And of course we, you know, we, everyone wants an audience, but if it, if it didn't work for them, then it didn't work for us. And, and that was true from the, you know, from the, the, greenskeeper to the actors to the writers to the directors everybody was in on that and it was it made it really special it really showed and before okay so i have all these questions for you but i kind of just got to get it out 
uh, <laughs> this funny little story that I have. But before I, I tell you this funny little story about you, um, I just need you to know that I'm specifically not flirting with you. I'm pretty sure that you are, uh, I think you're either married or you're with someone. I'm with someone. So this is not a flirt, but I just got to tell you because I had a huge, massive crush on you. It was like, I, I used to have like huge, massive crushes on people and you were definitely one of them. And so that was when you were a Dodger and I was like totally in love with you. So all these years go by. And because that, that was probably I was I watched China Beach religiously, but I found it in reruns. So that was probably when I was 22 years old, 1991 ish. So cut, uh -huh. cut to 2000. And I think it was like 2008. And I used to work for this. Um, I, I, le I used to be an actor and then I left acting and I was in sales. And so I was briefly working for this giftware company that I hated and I had to carry around with me all these quilted bags. I had like five quilted bags plus a roller case filled with the giftware. And on this particular day, I wore my, what I called my boring sales outfit, which was not flattering. And I just wasn't, I wasn't giving a shit about anything. And I had all my bags with me and I went to this, I think it's a Studio City uh, cafe. And I know, I, I know the name of it, but I'm not going to say just in case you still go there. But anyway, so I, I go to this Studio City Cafe, and I'm going to, you know, it's got, like, gifts and everything. So I'm waiting to talk to the person, the manager, whatever, and there you are. You're sitting there, and you're reading a book, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's Jeff Kober. And so, I, you know, I mean, I, I thought, God, why do I have to look like this with all my stupid quilted bags and all my, my ridiculous clothes? And so you were, you were reading and you were sitting at a table by yourself and you, I, you like looked up from your book and you kind of looked around the room and you saw me, but you didn't take notice of me. And then you went back to your book and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm not marrying Jeff Kober. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's my Jeff Kober story. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we, we have these uh, experiences of other people and then we make up in our minds what's actually going on. <laughs> over there yeah he didn't even notice me um, or or he noticed me and he was so taken with me that he didn't want to uh, uh make problems in his own relationship so he went back to his book maybe that's you know, it, it could be any number of stories happening there but either way i had decided on in that moment that you and i were never to marry so uh, <laughs> you know i had a friend who was introduced to a woman from Argentina, and as he was shaking her hand, he said, "I don't want to move to Argentina." Um, so <laughs> that's so funny. Oh my God. Well, okay. So let's get into it. So first of all, I just want to get into your um, past. So I, I know you were raised in the Midwest. So what was your childhood like? It, it was Montana, and okay. it was. Uh, I, I actually, I always kind of felt like I was an alien, and I wondered <laughs> where my real parents were and why they left me here. Um, I, I just didn't, and I couldn't quite figure, I, I, I was not given any clues as to why I didn't fit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I, I just, I tried my best. I, I faked it. I, I, I asked myself, what would a normal human do in this situation? And then I would try to do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I worked a lot. I was on a farm. I, I stacked hay. I chased cattle. Wow. Uh, you know, I uh, 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 drove trucks and tractors and all that kind of stuff, and wow. and uh, and you know, drank as much as I could and uh, smoked pot when that came around, and <laughs> you know, 
it did the things that one does in order to keep surviving. Yeah. Well, when you say you felt like an alien, what do you mean? Like you just didn't, you just felt like everybody was doing their thing and you just were like, I don't get it. I, because, you know, and I, I'll just say this. When I was younger, when I was a little kid, I used to look around and I, I, I almost, I, I, I can't say that I felt like an alien, but I, I would kind of shake my head at humanity. And my mom always used to call me and still does the crack of doom. But now she's starting to kind of see what I was, where I was coming from. But it, but it was like the idea of I just looked around and I felt like people were getting it wrong. Well, see, I didn't. I was, I, I wasn't that way. I looked around and I, I saw people have these opinions, mm -hmm. and they were really committed to them. And I thought, how do you get those? Uh, because. <laughs> I, I could always see every side of a situation. You know, mm -hmm. I was the, maybe it's the family structure. I was, I was the guy who would go, no, no, what she actually meant to say mm -hmm. was, mm -hmm. and you know, like, like that. And uh, it was, you know, I was raised uh, in, in a home where there was just, it, it was, it was German Lutherans and there's, mm -hmm. you know, they seem to have an unwritten rule of no touching, no loving, no soft words. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, children are to be seen and not heard. And, mm -hmm. And it was just, it was really old school. Wow. And I, and, it, and, and I just, uh, I, I mean, if, if I look at terms, look at things in terms of past lives, I was, you know, I, I chose a family that, and a home and a, a, a path that would give me the tools I needed to use later on in life, which, which I'm using them now. Hmm. But, you know, you, you don't, you don't learn tools for survival unless you need to survive and you're not being just given survival. Um, you know, in an emotional sense, or in a, in, a, in a real life affirming sense. Yeah. Um, now, I saw in another video where you were being interviewed that uh, you drank, and at some, and I don't know how old you were, but you were involved in a car accident. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, the the, the drinking and the car accident had nothing to do with each other. I wasn't oh, okay. drinking in the car. I see. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I was in an accident. Uh, a boy who was a dear friend of mine was killed, and Ugh. I wasn't. And uh, and uh, and the the and I'm actually right in the middle of writing about this now. I'm uh, almost finished with a memoir um, that's you know based uh, uh, has a lot to do with that because that was really the formative experience of of my life, mm -hmm. and it was uh, it was a, a at that point. I was, I felt ostracized completely from society. Um, and the feeling that I was an alien was uh, absolutely cemented in me because I was now outside of everyone and everything. Um, I wanted to die and I didn't know how to. Uh, and it was just, it was sheer uh, agony for a long, long time. And, and, you know, as I said, I was uh, raised in a place where no one ever talked about anything. So no one ever actually talk to me about this wow uh, you know i was just left to deal with it on my own and i i think about that today you know if if my son went through something like that i you know i i i want to try to help him i'd want mm -hmm. to have him someone he could talk to about his feelings i'd you know someone to talk to him about his suicidal ideation yeah. and and his uh feeling of uh you know tremendous shame and guilt whatever it was which is what it was for me yeah. and i just i got lost for a very long time and uh sort of went down a path that i 
hadn't thought of before, mm -hmm. um, which was I ended up, you know, hitchhiking around, dropping out of college, you know, being in a carnival, um, all kinds of. Uh, That's right. You dark... were, you worked at a carnival. Yeah. So what yeah. was the... that like? <laughs> well, it was it was uh, it was it was interesting. What you know, did you do? What, like, what did you do at a the biggest collection of criminals. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you I'm can sure. Imagine <laughs> the FBI came through our show in Jackson, Mississippi, and literally half the people in the carnival <laughs> disappeared. Oh uh, they were, you know, they were draft dodgers. This was 1974, 75. Uh, draft dodgers, illegal aliens, um, you know, uh, felons with warrants out for their arrest. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and then there was there was me. I was just uh, <laughs> I, I was I was I was not wanted for anything. But um, <laughs> what did you? I was on probation. What did you so, do at the carnival? I, I sold corn dogs, wow. um, as one does. Corn dogs, <laughs> hot dogs, uh, corn on the cob, uh, deep fried burritos. Um, All the good healthy yeah. food. <laughs> oh, it was, it, it was healthy beyond measure. It was. <laughs> You know that you deep fried everything, and uh, when we set up the joint in uh, uh, New Orleans for the Mardi Gras, I had a joint on the corner of Bourbon and Iberville under the Woolworths uh, wow. sign, and uh, I lost my big pen, and <laughs> I saw it was in the four hundred degree oh grease, and so I, I pulled it out with the tongs, and it was just melted, and so the first, you know. Uh, the first couple of days, everyone's uh, corn dogs sort of tasted like big pen. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! It, it eventually faded. <laughs> so when did you when did you start thinking about acting? Did you think about that when you were a kid? I didn't. I was, you know, it. It was, you know, I was I was born in the fifties, and and there was no internet. You know, we had two television. Uh, channels. Um, Montana was always at least five years behind anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, you know, things just didn't travel. And it never occurred to me that actors were real people mm -hmm. or that there was a path from where I was to where that was. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so, no, it never occurred to me there. I, I, I played in the I played trombone for a while when I did go to college and mm -hmm. uh, I was in the pit orchestra of Fiddler on the Roof, J.K. Simmons was wow. our conductor, um, wow. Academy Award winner, uh, J.K. Yeah. Um, we were in music school together, and I saw the actors, and that was the first time I'd been that close to acting, and I suddenly went, oh, my God. <laughs> what? Oh, my God, what are they doing? And it was just, it was so fascinating to hmm. me. But still, it never occurred to me yeah. until I, I followed a woman to California. She was an actress um, or wanted to be one. And... Uh, you know, uh, adventures ensued and that mm -hmm. broke up and I was in a band and that broke up. And, and I just, I went to an acting class simply because I, I, I needed to go to a class because class made sense. Mm -hmm. You learned something, you were tested. They said, you know, if you were good or not. And, mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know anything about acting, but a, a woman suggested, uh, that I should go and try this. And so I did. And, uh, and I, I I fell in love. And how old were you? I was twenty six when I went to a, an acting class for the first time. And who did um, did you study in? Like I studied because I was an actor for I don't know a little over a decade, and I studied the Meisner technique. What did you study yeah. a technique? 
Yes, me too. Oh, you did? Yeah, really? That's cool. with? Wayne Dvorak? Oh, um, I, I started at the Victory Theater. Maria Gobetti oh, okay. was the teacher. And, uh, and then from her, I went to her teacher. His name was Ed K. Martin. He passed away in 89. Um, but he was, he was just this wild man who was so committed to the truth. He would go to uh, uh, equity waiver plays and sit in the front row and, and he would give the play about 10 minutes. And if they weren't telling the truth, he would just stand up <laughs> muttering and leave the theater. And I, I watched once the, the, the actors on stage just stopped. They were frozen wow. until he got out of the theater and then they talked themselves into continuing. <laughs> and as far as Meisner goes, just out of curiosity for me, um, did how long were you in, how long, because like I studied it, it was supposed to basically be about two years years but it took I think two yeah. and a half years for my class and then um you know then we went on is that is did you do like a two-year program or around that time it wasn't a two-year program it was like a well it was a it was sort of set up that way where there was about a year of the basics mm -hmm. and then you just went into an advanced class that just continued on and it was a lot of scene study along with the you know uh the repetition exercise yes which I love that, yeah it, it, right? Yeah. It, it, it teaches so much about uh, human interaction totally and how to does. get your attention off yourself. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it's like it, it's such a study in human psychology. And it's fun because it's like, you know, your own language. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically at least the when, when you start doing it, it's two people kind of just standing face to face, looking in each other's eyes. And somebody starts and you focus only on what you feel or what you see or what you think the other person feels. And then, so you could, like, I might look at you and I'll say, I feel nervous. And then you would repeat that. You'd say, I feel, you feel nervous. Ner yeah, you feel nervous. And then I feel nervous. And then, and then at, from what I learned, it has to be repeated at least one time by the other person. And then whenever your feeling changes, you just say whatever it is on your mind. And it yeah. becomes like a language. Well, and it and it's what ends up happening is that the the what is really going on is a flow of energy back and forth mm -hmm. between the two people, and the words are just, uh, just you know giving your mouth and your mind something to do. Mm -hmm. What you're really doing is listening with your whole body mm -hmm. and allowing uh, your impulses to take over, um, and so that the, you're not deciding to change the repetition. The repetition just changes like suddenly going like, yes. oh i'm nervous too yeah and, you know and, and exactly and then it yeah I, I i loved my acting coach was fantastic and he always he would stop us like because like in a repetition if you get angry you can't say fuck you because that's not a feeling and so whenever somebody would say something <laughs> like that my coach would say you're being conversational basically you have to go back to what you're feeling or what you observe the other person is feeling and so I, I swear it's so fascinating because aside from learning how to be a good actor like you said it teaches it gives you this tool to really listen to people and to um kind of pick up on the bullshit and I, I you know I have to say I loved my mother also studied acting in the same studio and both of us say you know those were some of the absolute best times of our life it was so much fun and what I love and this is also what I think of China Beach and I would imagine it was the same there is a camaraderie it's always of actors actors have whenever they work on a project there is just this camaraderie that develops and 
you know, in my class, there were so many different personalities. Everybody didn't always get along. My acting coach always said, leave your shit at the door. Don't bring it in. In here, we support each other. And we did. And it was it was such a phenomenal, amazing feeling. And that's one of the things that, um, you know, drew me to acting in the first place was just that camaraderie. And I mean, I'm, I know you felt it. I know you guys, which I, 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 I'm going to get to China Beach in a minute. But let me ask you this. What was your first role? My, <laughs> my first paid gig. Yeah. Uh, well, my first, my first paid gig was there was a, the uh, Hollywood Chamber of Commerce was giving uh, awards to the, the best uh, uh, business on Hollywood Boulevard and the worst business on Hollywood Boulevard. And the best business was, believe it or not, Fredericks of Hollywood. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> It, they had just painted their building purple. Yeah. And then there was a, a bar called The Nest near uh, Highland and, and uh, Hollywood. And there were always uh, drunks hanging around outside and they wanted to make sure there were some there. So I played a wino. Um, <laughs> and and, and uh, I, I actually, I, uh, 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 a nun gave me a card for a recovery house oh downtown. So, so believable. So that was my first review. <laughs> That's totally awesome. <laughs> but I, 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 I rinsed my mouth out with MD 2020, which uh, for those of you listening is uh, fortified wine. Um, <laughs> Morgan David fortified. They just take, you know, basically it's uh, grape Kool-Aid and turpentine. Oh my God. Um, it, it, but it makes you smell like a wino. Right. Um, but then I, then there was a, a, a short film for, this was when Disney was just starting to do um, other kind of content. And they, it was a short film of Red Riding Hood. And I played the wolf. Um, and it was uh, directed by Harrison Ellenshaw, who was the scenic designer for the star, first three Star Wars Oh, films. wow. And this was his directorial debut. And <laughs> the only time I saw it with an audience, there were the children that were in the audience ran out of the room uh, <laughs> because it was a little too horrifying for them. So. Oh my God, that's so funny. All right, so now now I got to get to the first power because I, I'm going to go back and say, God, I remember seeing that movie and it was like, I don't know exactly the date it came out, but it was late 80s. Lou Diamond Phillips was in it. And then I can't remember the, the girl's name, but isn't it Melly, Melanie Griffith's sister? Uh, it, it was, uh, 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 I can't remember uh, her name. Tracy Griffith. Yes, Tracy yeah. Griffith. Um, and they were good, but you stole the film, and I'm not just saying that. You were. Sh I, re I just remember being so terrified by your character and, you know, the whole buddy boy thing. In fact, I announced on my Facebook page that you were going to be on my show, and I mentioned the first power, and somebody wrote buddy boy, and I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, especially that you were a Meisner actor, how did you prepare to play the devil? See, that was, that was, uh, it was, I, I, I went a little too far, um, because I, there was a, a, a witchcraft shop in, uh, um, West Hollywood at that time. I, I went there and I, I was looking at some of the really dark, dark arts and, uh, I, uh, uh, you know, my the first scene I shot, I had to say the Lord's Prayer backwards oh just before I was going to cut a woman open. Just oh this God. horrifying stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was still a you know kind of a uh, a failed 
but uh, still believing Christian boy at the time. So that was horrifying. Mm -hmm. And I went to see Richard Ramirez was actually on trial. Wow. Well, while we were shooting and yeah. I went to uh, his trial really? um, and watched him. And this was the most horrifying thing I bet. was that he had the, uh, he had about the level of awareness of a high schooler who'd been caught breaking windows in the gymnasium. Yeah. It was, he just, he didn't, it was, he was a, he was a true sociopath. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, you know, I really got from him that he just, he loved the power that he had over these people mm -hmm. during the time when he uh, when he took over their homes before he killed them and it was just it was all about power mm -hmm. and uh, sexuality and and you know and I mm -hmm. I and the the uh, Bob Reznikoff who wrote it was he really uh, he wrote it from a, a really dark place mm -hmm. and so there was a lot of reality to it that's why it was yeah as horrifying was but i've i've never been on a set where uh with more people getting hurt so many really? people got hurt on that movie um, wow so yeah well there was a you know they there was a uh, they had a decelerator uh cable mm -hmm. where you know where you could fall and the cable would uh stop so that you wouldn't um you wouldn't splat when mm -hmm. you hit the the uh the floor or the yeah. the 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 uh parking lot um the pavement and this is the first movie where a guy jumped 13 stories and landed on his feet um oh as me and they filmed that it was the first movie where they actually filmed that that uh, kind of a stunt but then they had another stunt man uh, decelerate falling through a uh like a metal tower mm -hmm. and they uh they misjudged mm -hmm. and so he cracked a bunch of ribs Ooh. um Another guy, uh, they had a car flip and they, you know, they went too fast and the guy ended up in the hospital for six weeks. Um, uh, another guy broke a, a wrist, one of my stunt, stunt men. Um, the producer uh, was walking up, we were walking up some stairs uh, in this warehouse where we did all this water stuff uh, mm -hmm. that happened in the movie. And her ankle just snapped and I, I caught her as she fell. Oh I was God. standing, I was walking behind her. I'm just, it was, I, I, oh, and Lou, Lou uh, broke one of my ribs. Oh um, my God. <laughs> it was, it was like, oh my God. No so there was, shit. It, you know, and so just uh, evil mm -hmm. only exists when you're looking for it. But when right. you look for it, it's there. You know. So, but in your head, like, I mean, I can, I'm going to give an example. When I, when I was working in pain, right, in, in, in sadness and pain, the first time that I ever really worked on that in my class, I had to prep myself for the entire day. And so, you know, I kept like putting myself in this really negative mind space where I felt sad and I felt down and finally, you know, the class started at seven. I don't know what time I got up to do my exercise and work in this emotion, but I, you know, I cried and it was, I did the whole thing and then I, I was finished. And what surprised me was that that feeling was still there. I, I, I couldn't get rid of it. And I, I went home mm -hmm. depressed. Fortunately, the next day I woke up and it was gone. But I mean, I, I think about that when actors, especially anybody playing the Joker or something like that, but you're playing a devil and you have to get in touch with that evil side. So like what kind of things did that do to your psyche? Well, it was, it was, uh, it, I've learned how to do it 
without it costing as mm -hmm. much as it cost then. Mm -hmm. I, it did horrible things to my psyche, but it also fit in with my self-image at the time, hmm. you know, because, uh, you know, calling back to the, uh, the accident that I was in, I thought that I was right. dark and evil, yeah. you know, and it, it took everything I had just to not, you know, be crushed under the weight of that myself. And then, so acting was a place where they celebrated you being able to have big feelings and being able to yeah. hold big feelings and being able to uh, express them. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, you know, it was the perfect place for me to, you know, work out my stuff. Um, but uh, that was, that was, that really sent me down a, a dark path for, for a while, hmm. actually, that, that movie. And, but I've learned, you know, the uh, uh, Chekhov people, they they do a thing where you put on an imaginary suit, uh -huh. oh. yeah, just like a space suit. You yeah. you know you're just you put you put your feet in it, you put your arms in it, you bring a helmet over your head, you know, uh, and it's something that everything uh, it, it's it's open so that everything you do comes out of it, but mm -hmm. nothing goes in, and then at the end of the day you just take it off and leave it all there, and it, it it's it's just your imagination, but yeah. it works. That's, because yeah. all your stuff when you're preparing is your imagination too, but your your emotional system doesn't know the difference. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know what? I'm I have been uh, working in deliberate manifestation now for like a year, and I've totally learned that it's just your 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 subconscious doesn't know the difference between a real or imagined experience, but as long as you can yeah. control it all that's the key you can control that and it's just so fascinating to me but you know what um before i ask you any more questions we need to take a quick break and we will be back after this message well you've probably heard you should be eating more seafood ha i'm way ahead of the curve yay but maybe the seafood counter is too intimidating or you aren't quite sure how to prepare it that's why you need wild alaskan company the founder comes from a long line of Alaskan commercial fishermen, so they're experts in getting the highest quality, sustainably sourced seafood right to your plate. They believe that what you eat matters. As a member of the Wild Alaskan Company, you'll receive a variety of delicious, perfectly portioned, wild-caught seafood delivered right to your door. With access to their team of fishmongers for any questions, recipes, or cooking tips, they're so confident in the taste and quality of Alaska's seafood. They offer a 100% money-back guarantee. Change or pause your delivery. Every date, anytime, so easy. Right now, get $15 off your first box of wild-caught seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash Stephanie. That's wildalaskancompany.com slash Stephanie. 15 bucks off your first box. Wow. wildalaskancompany.com slash Stephanie. Okay, we're back. So, so you, I have a question. So sure. you said you've been working in deliberate manifestation for yes. over a year. How's that going? Um, it's going. You know, I, I have a couple of, I don't think... I don't like the word big because it's not nothing is big, you know, as far as whatever the universe has for us. It's big as far as, you know, somebody might want a million dollars and they think that's big, but it's really the same as a penny. It's all a matter of what you believe. Um, but I think it's here's how it's really worked for me, because I have a couple of manifestations that I'm working on. I have some things that I have actually manifested. But I think the most important lesson and the most important thing that I've taken away from this is when I first started doing it, I was in a very negative mind space about myself. I felt like I was a loser. Long, long story short, I had lost uh, my income. 
because I was a blogger and Facebook shut down my page as well as a whole bunch of other pages where I was able to post my blog and I made money from it and then it was gone. And so I just, I was in this very negative space. And what I was doing, aside from telling myself these very negative things and repeating them and affirming them basically over and over and over and over again, mm. um, I was resentful of certain things that happened in the past. That really had nothing to do with anything, but I was just so um, upset over what had happened. So my initial... Uh, the way I started with the manifesting was being grateful and expressing gratitude for all of the wonderful things and, and the abundance of so much. You know, I mean, even if you're somebody who doesn't have very much, there's maybe an abundance of air, abundance of water or just whatever it is. Look for what is abundant in your life. And it was so amazing because as soon as I started to do that, all of my resentment and feelings of low self-esteem it melted away and it didn't mm -hmm. take very long at all but it was a decision that i made and so i think the most important part of all of this is that when you know and i, I in this time frame i have slipped and i have gone into those negative spaces but i think the difference is because i have trained myself like with a, a new mental diet instead of going back to those same i'm a loser i'm i'm never going to do any you know all the terrible things that i told myself I don't think those things anymore. I might feel, say, insecure or I might feel frightened of something, but I allow myself to have those feelings and then I don't allow myself to swim in the pool of shit, if you will. And, uh, and so that's, I think that's the one big takeaway, the positive takeaway. And of course, there are material things that I'm manifesting and I always think in terms of my health and the health of people around me. But I think as far as everything that I've done, it's really come down to being grateful and not letting myself, not repeating the negative to myself. Instead, now I affirm positive things. So if I'm starting to feel negative, I'll probably let myself have it. And then I just go back to affirming the positive. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, you know, the, uh, the, uh, you know, I, 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 I teach and practice Vedic meditation yes. and the, the Veda uh, is an ancient, a set of knowledge that and it says actually that it, it unlike most religions it says that heaven is a body dependent phenomenon and uh, it, you know that even the angels uh, are envious of mankind for its capacity to feel the joy of living hmm. um, but just as heaven is body dependent so is hell mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we get to choose. Yeah. And what you're talking about is choosing the one over the other. Yes. And, and that's where free will comes in. It's, mm -hmm. you, you, you may not be able to determine exactly what's hap what happens to you, but you can determine what your reaction exactly. to it is, what your response to it is. So. Yeah, I mean, my mother has always said that to me. My mom and I are very close. That's why I bring her up all the time. But, um, you know, she, she used to when I was younger. In fact, when I was an actress, I, I let's see. I started studying early 90s, and so I was in it for just about a, a little over a decade. I, I did work on Days of Our Lives for seven years as a police officer. It was a small role. It wasn't like a contract role. Um, but interestingly, and I've talked about this on my podcast just for my patrons, but I truly believe this now. Like, I wish I had, I wish I understood deliberate manifestation and, you know, mental diet at that time, because... I, I'm six foot tall, I have broad shoulders, I have big bones, and even though I was, you know, slender when I was younger and in my 30s and all that, like, I was never Hollywood skinny, and I always, mm -hmm. I always, 
believed. And I think that's the key with manifestation. It's about what you believe about yourself, not what you want, because I wanted to be a successful actor, but I didn't believe that I was going to be one because I thought my body was going to get in the way. And I, if I would have understood this, what I'm doing when I was younger, what I would have done was I would have forced myself to believe that my body was the reason I became successful. That, you know, like for instance, Xena War warrior princess, you know, I might've gotten a role like that because she was a tall, muscular woman and I could have easily played in a role like that. Um, but sure. I, I constantly, constantly told myself that I was never going to be accepted in Hollywood because my body was not the the typical Hollywood type of body that women like for instance Cameron Diaz even Kristen jo Kristen Johnson's been on my show before and we've talked about it she and I are the same height and but she's got a very narrow frame and she had very very thin arms very very thin legs and I would obsess about this stuff forever and I just never believed that I was going to be accepted and as a result, I mean, I got some roles, but they were, you know, they weren't big roles. And then eventually I just left because I decided it, I didn't want to do it anymore. So, but, you yeah. know, I wish I could go back to my younger self and, and, uh, you know, change the way and, I And have, have a conversation and just say, <laughs> uh, say, look at this a little differently. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So now I want to get to China Beach because, geez, I love that. I love that show so much. So when you, okay, let's talk about how that came to be. How did you, you know, was it like an agent that put you out or did they call for you specifically? Well, uh, John Levy was the casting director and I had actually done an acting class with him. Uh, he was uh, casting at the Mark Taper Forum. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and I had done an acting class with him um, a few years before. And uh, so, yeah, he, I, I believe he asked my agent uh, to come in um, for me to come in. Uh, and uh, I went in, I had the flu. Oh wow! I was I was so sick, uh, but it was it was like it was one of those you know, a few times in your in your career you read a role where you just go, oh my God, this is yeah. me. Yeah. And uh, that was one of them. And uh, I went in, and and it was a you know a marine who hadn't spoken in months, mm -hmm. and uh, who had seen way too much, and so I was just haunted and ill and unable to speak, and and you know when I got done with the the audition. I said, I'm, I'm really sorry about my voice. And they said, no, 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 we love it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and it was, uh, but that, the role was just, it was a guest star on the pilot. Wow. And then they realized when it got picked up for series that they didn't have any uh, soldiers. They had, you know, they had one wounded soldier, uh, Brian Wimmer, Booney, who, mm -hmm. who, you know, ran the USO and, uh, 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 and then they, the rest was nurses and donut dollies and mm -hmm. um, and doctors, and then they uh, so then they they invited me back uh, for a, a few uh, a couple of guest stars in the uh, in the first you know six it was just a six uh, episode season and then I got the you know offered a contract in the wow. second season. Well, and what did that feel like to be on that show? Oh, it was just it was brilliant. It was. You know, it was just, it was, uh, it was, it, everyone was working. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was, a, it was really, a, there were no prima donnas. Hmm. You know, everyone was dirty and uh, it was, we, we developed a reputation uh, for uh, 
being one of the hardest shows to work on because the crew just, you know, we, we did, once we did a 25 hour day, oh my God. It's, it's absurd, but they were, you know, a lot of the camera work and, and stuff that was, that uh, got used in like ER, uh, John Wells was our showrunner mm-hmm. um, after the first two seasons. And, uh, you know, so a lot of that camera work was developed you know, uh, uh, in China Beach, a lot of tracking shots and really hard focus uh, 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 kind of situations. And, you know, really, it, it was, you know, it was, still, it was the days of film. So it, it took a long time to set things up and light things. And they were just really, everyone cared so deeply about what they were doing. So we really put in the hours and put in the time. And, uh, and there was very little complaint by anybody for any of the situations because as we were we were doing something that mattered mm-hmm. uh, that was you know at least to us it, mm-hmm. it mattered more than just you know a paycheck and a, yeah and, and getting seen on television it was you know it, it was about doing something that uh, we could be proud of and that would be appreciated by you know because we had lots of uh technical advisors mm-hmm. um on the show we had our helicopter pilot was uh you know, he'd been shot down three times in Vietnam. Wow. Um, you know, and so uh, he, you really, he was someone you really trusted when you went up mm-hmm. with him. Uh, Chuck Tambro was his name. Hmm. And uh, it was just, it was, it was extraordinary. And the writing was, mm-hmm. all of it went through uh, the the mind of, of John Sackrett Young. And uh, he just passed away about hmm. two weeks ago. Um, but he was, he was a minimalist mm-hmm. and, uh, he 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 loved silence and he loved to say things in as cryptic a form as possible and, hmm. and uh, so my character I, I got to have a lot of silence and a lot of uh cryptic dialogue and uh, i love that stuff wow yeah i loved i remember like i said i i found it in reruns and i just lived for it it came on every night at seven every night i'd eat my dinner and watch it and i just i fell in love with that show it's so good in fact my boyfriend, uh, the first Christmas that we were together, he bought me the whole, the whole set, the DVD, whole thing, and it's like, oh, God, now I own it. But um, I, I just want to say, just thank you for doing it. And you know, my father, interestingly, he was a Vietnam vet, and he was hit in the arm. No, well, he was hit in the arm with with shrapnel, and I think it was days before I was born. So that when he came mm. home from Vietnam, I was a newborn. Thankfully, you know, he got to come home. I mean, he had he was unfortunately a young person who was over there. And I can't even imagine what he saw. And I know that it's still it's still with him today. In fact, you know, he knew that you were going to be on my show. And his first question was if, you know, if you were a Marine, which I don't believe you were. Um, yeah. But you played one so well, <laughs> and he appreciates it. You know, he he like he's one of the many who uh, watched that show and really appreciated it and really liked it. And it was just so well written, so well acted. Everybody on it, I felt like I knew them, and it really did bring that sense because, you know, I also lived in Russia. My father uh, was an ABC News cameraman, so in 1980, 81, he had to go over to Russia. My mom and dad are divorced. So he was re you know, he got remarried. And, and so at, I think it was like 80, that's when I went over there, 80 to 81. He was there for like three or four years. I was there for one school year. And it really, really, really showed me because I, it was Soviet. 
And I went to an American school. There was 87 different nationalities there, but we definitely felt like other, you know, and I can imagine Mm -hmm. even though you were portraying um, being a vet or or, or being a Marine and all that, still being on that show gave you that sense of camaraderie, that other, like we're in it and there is this unit that is sticking together and there's this like fierce deterrent. I had that in my acting class and that to me really came through on the show. It's like you guys as an ensemble came across as a real family and uh, the reunions that I saw only reinforced that. Yeah. And uh, actually I just had dinner a week and a half ago with uh, three people from the show. Wow. Uh, so cool. I'm so, so jealous. I wish I was there. <laughs> uh, I, I had a friend who said, uh, did anyone in the restaurant realize that they were witnessing a pop culture phenomenon? <laughs> and I said, yeah, no. <laughs> it was just another table. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And then I know, I know, I mean, you've been on so many shows and so many movies and everything, but I know I'm pretty sure the last one was General Hospital. Is that correct? I just, uh, I was, yeah, I was nominated for a, a daytime Emmy. Wow, that's just, so cool. I hope you get yeah. it. Wow. So what was that like? And I mean, are you still on the show or is that it? Are you are you off now? Uh, they sent my character to prison. Oh, okay. Um, but, he, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> one of the one of the actresses said, honey, they can bring you of back course. even after you've donated your organs. Exactly. Um, so, so who knows? Oh my God, was, that's so I'll funny. tell you what, here's what was extraordinary about the show for me. Number one, those people work their asses yeah, off. One, one day I had 50 pages of dialogue. Oh my God. And it was like, come on, this and you have one take, four yeah. cameras, uh, no rehearsal. It's like doing theater without rehearsal. Yeah. And you just have to, you have to be willing to just step into the unknown and go. Mm -hmm. And that's where the Meisner just really, really uh, pays off. Because if you're just listening, Mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about how you're going to say anything or where you're going to be standing or uh, you're, you're, you have an emotional intention with that other person and you let that drive you. And the words are just the ammunition to mm-hmm. get what you need. Hmm. Um, and, and so, I, and I just, when I, you know, I, I, it was the, it was my COVID job. I, I got it hmm. just a couple of months before the shutdown happened. And then we were shut down for four months and then mm-hmm. they brought us back. Um, and it, so it really took care of me this, this whole time hmm. and gave me something to do, but I learned so much about acting and about, cause I just, I refused to just, just show up and do the words mm-hmm. you know so i i insisted on like throwing myself into the unknown and god it was fun wow. it was so much fun wow um i that's cool that you had something i mean i was able during covid to just do what i do all the time because i do this all the time and it's easy right to do from my home but yeah i can imagine it must have been um frightening and weird as an actor and then i guess you were tested at were you tested every day Every other, it oh, was okay. like uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You gotcha. know, uh, we were right. tested, and, and then we all you wore masks uh, the whole time uh, for rehearsals, and the crew mm-hmm. wore masks all the time. And mm-hmm. then uh, you so you would rehearse with a mask on, and, and the first day we came back, it was like you rehearse and you can't 
you know, you some of the times I was working with actors I'd never met before, mm-hmm. and all I see is their eyes, yeah. and then all of a sudden you take the masks off, and and so it's basically the first time you're doing the scene, <laughs> and they're taping it. Wow! So that's so interesting. Are you doing? Is anything else happening in your in your acting world right now? No, no, just uh, I've, I've I've got some other worlds that are happening, but uh, the acting world is. Uh, is uh, uh, dormant for the moment. It's always, you know, June is always kind of a yeah. downtime. Right. Apparently, after the fourth, it's all supposed to pick up. They tell me. Hmm. Um, so now, okay, I want to ask about your now. You is it called Vedic or Vedic medic meditation? Vedic. It's kind Vedic. of an anglicization of Veda means knowledge in Sanskrit, um, and. Uh, it's like the knowledge of consciousness is what it's about. And it's, you know, it's, you know, you're talking about manifestation. It's like, if you want to change your experience of life, you change your consciousness. Yes. That's it. So yeah. Th- that's what Vedic meditation is about. It's about, uh, it, it allows your attention and your awareness to go to the place that is beyond thought. Because there is consciousness that you are that mm-hmm. is beyond thought. You know, mm-hmm. I am not my thinking. Right. You know, my thinking is like the, you know, it's, it's like a consciousness is like an iceberg. My thinking is the part of it that you can see, but mm-hmm. the vast, the eighty-five percent of it is underwater, mm-hmm. and eighty-five percent of my consciousness is other than my my chattering mind. Um, and when you can start to know that other place, then you can uh, start to. Uh, have an experience of that other place and that that other place that we are that's where happiness actually is that's where fulfillment lies is in that underlying truth of what we are so it's it's not if i get enough out here i'll be happy in here it's just mm-hmm. i find the happiness in here and then let that out picture in my life that's that's kind of the shorthand of what happens and so what would be like a quick way to describe um just you know let's say hey i'm interested in it and um i you coach me um how how is it that you coach people and and when someone is in the process of doing a meditation where are they told to go in their mind what are they told to do what what's the main gist of it when you're actually meditating well the 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 main gist is you you receive a a mantra Mm -hmm. a personal mantra and the mantra is a meaningless sound that has two qualities uh one is that it's uh, attractive to your mind. So you don't try to stop your thinking. You just let that one other thought be in there. And your mind is just a little bit more attracted to that other thought than the thoughts that you have all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the second quality is that as you repeat it in this really particular and effortless fashion, it begins to settle down. It begins to be forgotten. And your mind attracted to it follows it. So your whole system de-excites. Hmm. And you settle down, and and the closer you get to that settled down state, the 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 nature of that settled down state is bliss itself. It's just pure happiness or fulfillment, mm-hmm. if you will. Just the place of, you know, that feeling when you've had a really, uh, you've really worked really hard, and and you get to the end of the day, and you don't have any other responsibilities, and you can just go, oh, yeah, like that. Yeah, that's actually our base nature. Huh. And it's, but it's the, we continue to look for that outside of ourselves mm-hmm. and we can never find it out there. So, you know, we get anxious, we, we 
argue with the world and think it should be different than it is. We tell people that they should be different than they are mm -hmm. instead of just seeing them for what they are and seeing ourselves for what we are and being that underlying truth. That's, uh, that's the, the formula for happiness is to, to know the truth of yourself and then be present in the world and put it in motion. Um, that's what acting is. You yeah. know, you get in touch with that underlying truth of yourself mm -hmm. instead of trying to figure out who you are or what you're supposed to be doing. And then you point it outwards and go, you know, you mm -hmm. let yourself flow. And yeah. meditation is the thing that gets you in touch with the ground of what you are, the truth of what you are, so that um, you're not trying to ground yourself in, in your thinking. Your thinking changes all the time. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to you know, ground yourself in your thinking or in your ideas of what you are, then you're, 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 you're in your changeable nature. So meditation allows you to get in touch with that thing that never changes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's ridiculously simple, but it takes it. I teach a four day course where mm -hmm. uh, you're given a mantra and then shown how to use it and uh, you know, how to, how to have the best experience possible. And I assume obviously it helps you in your life, um, have you noticed how it's affected your acting? Well, it affects my acting. Like I used to have to, I was so cut off from my feelings. I would have to really dig down into mm -hmm. myself to get grounded in my emotional self. Mm -hmm. And there's no digging now. I just uh, allow it to be there. Hmm. Um, and, and as well, you, uh, the more you get in touch with that underlying state, the less fear you have, mm -hmm. because uh, there's nothing really to be afraid of if you're in touch with that truth that goes on infinitely. There's nothing to be afraid mm -hmm. of. So you stop worrying about how you're going to be seen, and rather you, you know, you step into the world uh, without that that third eye without that uh, uh, self-consciousness. There's mm. a self-awareness, but not yes. a self-consciousness. I'm not trying to figure out what you're thinking about me in order to know that I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Right, <laughs> right. Assuming right. okayness and stepping forward. Wow. that's And how long have you been practicing this? Almost 20 years. Hmm. Um, I was practicing other stuff before that. I've been to India more than a dozen times. I've you know, studied all kinds of different things, but this is the this is the thing that uh, offers the most the most outcome for the least amount of effort hmm. uh, put forth. How much time do you spend a day doing it? I spend uh, about an hour each morning doing various things, and then twenty thirty minutes in the uh, afternoon. Wow, that's kind of interesting. I, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't ever looked into anything like that. But I've just, I have been talking. Uh, I do this patrons only show just for my patrons, and I've been talking about the fact that I've, you know, I most of the time on this show I talk about politics, and so there's a lot to be upset about and worried about, and sure. um, I've, you know, and because I've been doing it now for several years. It's interesting, and I don't know if there's any correlation. I mean, I'm going to be 53 in July, but so there's that's one thing. But I I noticed that I started gaining weight pretty much when Donald Trump became president, uh, or actually a little bit before, and um, you know, and the, and I was just, and it wasn't because I was eating. 
I, 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 you know, I was an actress in Hollywood who was so obsessed with my freaking body. Um, I, I know how to lose weight and I know how to eat healthy. So I would eat healthy and work out and I was putting on weight and I just recently was tested. Um, my cortisol is high. And so that's stress, you know what I mean? And it's like, I, and I really, I, it's literally started when Trump basically won the nomination and, you know, and then, uh, as I said, I lived in Soviet Russia, so I have an understanding of what it's like to live in an autocracy and, and a fascist kind of state. And and so then I found out that, you know, Vladimir Putin was doing what he's doing. And it was like it it was a lot. And I and I truly wonder if some I don't blame all of it, but I, if some of this excess belly fat that I'm carrying around with me now that I hate so much is because of my stress. And I'm looking around to see what I can do to, you know, minimize that. So I definitely will be taking a look into this uh, because I need to find something. And I'm not like this outdoorsy person, especially now that I live on the East Coast and it's humid in the summer and I hate it so much. I hate the humidity. I love the fall and the winter and the spring, but I hate the summer here with a freaking yeah. passion. <laughs> so, but that's, that's well, interesting. It, 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 you're, you're, you're probably, uh, uh, that's probably, uh, that's definitely uh, one of the factors, you know, because mm-hmm. you're, the stress is uh it's it's the you know it's the it's the thing that uh, we're all at the mercy of yeah uh, and when you're not doing something to change your body chemistry you know like this this meditation has been shown scientifically to reduce cortisol and increase uh uh endorphins and mm-hmm. and uh dopamines and wow. you know it, it it changes the stress chemistry uh it dissolves that and adds bliss chemistry to your system and you you know it's like the stress is such an absurd way to use ourselves because Mm -hmm. it's not it doesn't change anything yeah you know me trying to change the world by my thinking is like have you ever gone bowling (laughs) yes so when you when you let the ball go and you, and you know it's going in the wrong direction, yeah. but you move your body trying right. to make it change, <laughs> most of what we do is that, yeah. and all that does is hurt your back, <laughs> you know. Which is funny because I remember I never like bowled when I was a little kid. My dad would take me bowling. Years later. I went bowling. I was an adult, and I was freaking so good at it. I I, I played with this league it was it was some charity event and i was playing with the league and i beat everybody in the league and then i threw my back out <laughs> so i took my body i did whatever to my body and then and then i was came in last but um that's funny <laughs> that you say that it just brings me to the, the so back start thing. meditating and take up bowling again i, I, I think <laughs> I know, we're on something here. To do. and then okay well last i want to talk about because i know there is a name for it and i don't know the name for it but it's the kind of kind of photography that you do Oh, I do tintype photography. It's okay, also tintype. called uh, wet plate collodion. Okay. Because the, the chemist, you're, you're making a piece of film each time you shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the chemistry on the, the plate has to be wet hmm. uh, for it to be active. If it dries out, then it's, it's no longer, uh, it won't take a picture. Um, so it's, a, oh. it's like a, it's like a 15 minute Polaroid. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> Yeah, you have to make the plate and, and uh, you know, set up the shot and then take the plate and then develop it and fix it all at the same time. Yeah. Um, wow. So. And what got you into that? That's, and it's so, because it's like that sepia color. Am I, am I correct on that? that the pictures that I've it, seen? It's, it's sepia and it is, and it's actually, it's on a, 
it's on a it's on a plate like the the images are anywhere from four by five inches to 16 by 20 inches hmm. I the ones that I shoot most of the time are I got right now I'm shooting eight inch by eight inch squares mm -hmm. um, and so that's you have an actual analog uh, piece of tin that's been you know photographed on mm -hmm. um, I, I got into it because as a meditation teacher I wanted to uh, and I and I've I've been a photographer for years, uh, a really bad one, uh, but <laughs> photographer nonetheless. And uh, I wanted to see if you could capture something of when someone was meditating, if you could see something there. Mm -hmm. And I, so I got a large format mm -hmm. camera to, to see what I could see with that. And then I got tired of going to the lab. And then I heard about this, uh, this process you could do on your own with a bunch of really toxic chemistry. And uh, so I, I, I started doing it to, to take pictures of people meditating and then right after they're done meditating. Um, and then I just, it, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, God help you if you get interested in it because you can go down <laughs> some really major rabbit holes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it I'm, must be fun. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that. But it must be fun to do that. I mean, everything that you do is creative and interesting. And I mean, I even saw, you mentioned that you sang and I, again, looking you up on YouTube and everything, I saw, you were singing a, like a country song. Is that something you do often? Uh, well, it's, I've, I, I did a pilot where I played a country singer. Mm -hmm. And then I did a, I did a play where I was a country singer. And, and you know, and so I, I'm, I'm able to act like a singer. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I can sing okay. Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it, you know, it's just, it's just, life is too short to not enjoy yourself. So mm -hmm. I've, I've been fortunate to, uh, you know, just I was incapable of doing work that I didn't enjoy. Me too. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, we're doing things that we love to do and uh, getting paid for it. There's mm -hmm. a there's a, a section there in the middle someplace where you're not getting paid and it right. looks like you maybe made the wrong choice. But, <laughs> you know, you're really choiceless uh, mm -hmm. if you're if you're following some inner guidance system that you've got to do what's what's in there to do mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I've I just see. been lucky that I I'm I'm able to you know acting has uh, taken care of me and uh, helps me pay for all for all the chemist chemistry I have to have <laughs> for my photography <laughs> yeah well I feel I feel like the way that humans have set things up, I mean, COVID is, I, I think I posted an article not too long yesterday or something about how people are realizing they don't necessarily need to do the grind, you know, and that work yeah. grind. And we're told that we have to be a certain way. And if we're not that way, then we are not successful or we're not valuable or whatever. And I never, I never fit into that mold. And no one likes, no one likes unless you specifically love it and like you, you know you're doing everything you love no one wants to have to work you know the majority of their life but as it turns out that's pretty much even you know I mean even somebody who's working say like full-time at a department store you you work like a, it's a nine-hour shift because you have an hour off for lunch or whatever it is and the majority mm -hmm. of your time is spent working for other people and so many of those people are caught up in their own you know power issues and they're micromanaging and whatever it is. they have these ridiculous rules and I was never cut out for that I did a 
I used to be a sales rep, but this, when I was a sales rep, I controlled my schedule. I, I always chose mm-hmm. places to work where I didn't have to check into an office, where I got to work from home. And, and that's the only way I could do it because then I decided how I spent my day. And I, I always believed that if I had to go to work um, in a situation where I had to be at a physical place for a period of time every day, that I, would, that I probably would get sick because I just, it would be my way out. You know, like yeah. I, I think my body would just go, okay, I'm, I'm making myself sick so I don't ever have to come here again. And, I, you know, I mean, and it doesn't mean you're a lazy person. It just means that the way people have decided that the, our, you know, our culture works, um, it's just not for me. And it's, it's tough. I mean, doing what I'm doing right now as a podcaster, um, I mean, I'm certainly not a millionaire, but I, I, I have... I think I'm fortunate that I do pretty well as a podcaster, but I have to, and I'm fortunate that my boyfriend who has a much more successful podcast than I do, um, you know, helps me to do what I can do. Cause I, I, I just couldn't do, I just couldn't do the normal thing. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> well, yeah. Our culture sort of developed this, this place where you, you sell your body and your mind and your soul for 40 hours or 50 mm-hmm. hours a week, whatever it is, so that you can have time to enjoy yourself. Yeah. But why not do something that you enjoy? Right. And so it's, it's, and you're working to do something that matters to you rather than that matters to your bank account. Yeah. I I just, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then it, you know, I mean, it's such a philosophical thing because I mean, there are certain jobs that have to get done and thank God there are certain people who are willing to, I mean, I could never be a doctor. I could never be a vet. If I ever have, if, if I had to work every day and see sick animals, I would just completely die because I just like, I love animals so much. So, you know, but if, but there are those people who are driven to do those things and, and thankfully they exist. But yeah, the, the structure, like you said, I mean, the 40, 40 hour week, we get 40 hour work week is much better than uh, before that came along and, and employers would just make you do whatever they felt like doing. But um, I don't know. I mean, I think the bigger picture here is that you are clearly a person who has figured out how to, to do what you love and make a good living. And you've also been able to find that inner bliss. And I think that's really inspirational. And so I just want to say, Again, thank you for your work on China Beach because it meant something to me, aside from my big crush on you. <laughs> and, and I followed you on Facebook, and I, I think you're such an interesting and fascinating person, and I'm so grateful that you came on my show. <laughs> I'm so grateful that you had me, and, and I'm so grateful that you had a crush on me. And, uh, <laughs> it was and the big next too. time I see you in a, a restaurant, I'm going to say hi. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny, before I let you go, there was a, I wish I could remember the area, because a girlfriend of mine at the time knew another woman, who I guess you guys lived in the same neighborhood, and she would see you out walking, and it would just drive me nuts, because it was like, I wasn't going to go stalk you, but I, like, really wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, before I let you go, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? JeffCober.com, K-O-B-E-R. Um... And there's uh, photography, uh, meditation, and acting, all at at one-stop shopping. Awesome. Okay, well, then I'm going to put that link in the Patreon subscription, Um, although this podcast goes out onto many different platforms. So if you want to get that link, physical link, 
just visit the Patreon page. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget that extra E. And my books are on Amazon. Thanks again, Jeff. It was awesome talking to you. Right back at you. Thank you. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.